cliffcentral.com. Well, there is an amazing award-winning exhibition that has just opened in Johannesburg at the Johannesburg Holocaust and Genocide Center. And it will travel also to Durban and Cape Town over the coming year. It's called Seeing Auschwitz, and it was developed by one of the world's leading experts on the Holocaust. It is currently um, on in Johannesburg, and it will be free to attend. It presents more than 100 scarce images of victims and perpetrators, as well as a visual and audio testimony of survivors. Um, it's open until the end of March 2023. You can go along and see it at the Johannesburg Holocaust and Genocide Center. Now, today, I'm really, really pleased to be able to welcome someone who is an incredible film producer and presenter. Since 2015, she's been the co-director of the organization March of Remembrance and Hope in Austria with a film production company, which is called Licht und Linsen. She has been uh, producing films, including Facing Auschwitz in 2020, in which four young people are accompanied on the journey to Auschwitz. In 2021, she launched the project Raise Your Voice, in which young people were called upon to write short stories on the subject of civil courage, five of which were selected and filmed. Incredible, incredible stuff. It is a great pleasure to welcome Iris Singer. How are you, Iris? Hi, thank you. I'm fine. It's just a great pleasure um, for the invitation to be here today. <laughs> so thank well, you very listen, much. Congratulations on your work. Uh, it's it's no secret that um, you know South Africa is is far off the beaten track for much of this, and I'm delighted that we could have this exhibition here. Of course, it is and should remain a preoccupation of humanity that we remember the stories of when we have done less than what is honorable to each other as human beings. And the Holocaust remains this real blight on the story of humanity in the 20th century. It's obviously something, though, which which leads people like you to so many incredible stories. And I just want to start off with your own family and, and how that got you to the position where you're, you're now talking about filming, producing, presenting information about all of this. Tell us about your own family background. And you're in Austria which, of course, is also I'm, the birthplace of, 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 of not so many good things. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, to be born in Austria, looking back to Austrian history, what has happened growing up um, in a very loving and very caring family. But, of course, still, you know, my, my parents are born in 1939 and 1940. So hmm. my grandparents survived the Second World War, um, and they have their history. So in my family, you know, they always talked about your step-grandfather. He got in, uh, like, um, he was fighting in Second World War, and when he came back and he was suffering, you know, so hungry and so on. Um, but what also was happening were this anti-Semitic comments from my granddad that that just like happened once a week. We had once a week, the whole family was meeting at my grandparents' house. This was a really tradition. The whole family was getting together, my brother, my sister, my parents, my grandparents and me. And, you know, during the conversation, when it came up to politics or when it came up, um, yeah, I don't, also talking about money, my grandfather out of the seven started saying this anti-Semitic comments. So what was the reaction in our family? My father was like, father, please stop that. We don't want anything like that here. My brother, mm-hmm. who's older than me, he was like behaving like, this is bad, but okay, 
he's an old man, you know, let him talk a bit. Mm. And for me, I just remember this since I was seven or eight years old. It was always not even understanding 100% what happened in the Second World War, but just understanding that this is not okay. So I just, you know, threw the cutlery on the table, got up, locked myself in the toilet, cried, came back after five wow. minutes and lunch continued. And this is how, you know, I remember the childhood. The older I got, the more I started, well, argumenting, but also asking my grandfather questions. I also have to say about my grandfather, or step-grandfather, it's my stepfather of my father. Um, my, my aunt, my dad's sister, was married to a Jewish artist. And my grandfather really liked him, you know, as a person, as an artist. So he was really, really... so. I never understood, you know, on one hand, you can really like somebody and say, like, it's a great person. He's a great guy. And then five minutes later, you say this anti-Semitic comments. You think, like, what's happening in your brain? And my grandfather, he was he was a doctor, a very, very caretaking doctor in the place where he lived. And when we were, you know, because I asked him about, did you know about Auschwitz? Did you know what happened there? And, you know, then he got quite quiet and he said, like, yeah, terrible what happened there. It's really terrible. And then he said, like, you know, as a doctor, I have to help people. It doesn't matter who they are, which nationality, which religion they have. You just need to help. So, you know, the older he got, the more you keep on asking questions. But I could never understand how is this manageable in one brain. On the one hand, you're saying that. On the other hand, you're saying this completely brainwash, terrible, you know, anti-Semitic comments. Yeah, there, there are two things I want to pick up on here because this is really interesting. And first of all, to just find someone who's from either Germany or Austria who, who even grew up in a family where they talked about this stuff is quite something yeah. because a lot of Germans and Austrians that I know, and I've, of course, that's not a sample by any means, but uh, we have a large German population of, of, of South Africans, you know, that, that come from Germany or speak German or consider themselves, you know, to, they go to Deutsche Schule or they, they play at the German sports club and they, they learn German in their, in their schools as a, as a first or second language. And, and often Germans that I have met who are from Germany are just terrified to even talk about the war. They're terrified to even talk about uh, anything to do with the Nazis. They stay they, anytime the Holocaust comes up, they almost get this fear in their eyes because I suppose they think that they're being held personally responsible for this. Um, but, but there's a, there's a huge discomfort and I'm just worried because of all the laws and the rules that were made up after world war two. And the fact that so many Germans have had to just almost expunge that from their history. It's a lot like the Afrikaans people in South Africa when it comes to apartheid. Um, I'm just worried that these things, when they, when they are left in the dark and they're not seen to and people don't talk about them like your family did, even if it was uncomfortable, that they somehow become worse. So I'd like to have your thoughts on that one. And then I also want to pick your brain about this idea that you just raised of you know, your, your step-grandfather who said, Oh no, I, I like that Jew, but the Jews I have a problem with. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll get to that in a second, but maybe first the, the attitude of Germany and Austria post World War II, before, long before you and I were born, but something which I think, you know, they've struggled with. 
I mean, of course, it's not a very like nice part of history looking back to that. And even, you know, my mother was born in 1940. So she was a child. Even for her, it's difficult. And she keeps on saying it was so terrible. But, you know, we didn't know it. I didn't know it. I couldn't do anything. So you can you can feel there's this feeling of guilt. What I think right. is so impossible. It's, you know, today it's not about or for me, it's not about talking about guilt It's talking about responsibility and what can we learn out of history and how can we change uh, the present and the future. So um, what, what I'm doing, you just sent it when you in the introduction, um, I'm co-director of the organization March of Remembrance and Hope. And we are mm -hmm. exactly focusing on that. So focusing on history and on like, don't forget what happened. Um talk about it and learn out of it. So what we are doing is we are organizing once a year a three-day memorial trip for Austrian, mostly non-Jewish pupils to Auschwitz mm -hmm. to take part at the March of the Living. The March of the Living is an international memorial march from Auschwitz I to Birkenau in which between, I don't know, 15 and 20,000 people from all over the world come there. It's survivors, the children of survivors, the grandchildren of survivors. And they come there to set a sign together and to say, I'm never again. This can never happen again. And I think this is also a way because, you know, the other part is survivors. They are now really, really old. So in a few years, yeah. we're not going to have the survivors telling their personal stories and telling what happened to them. And just like we said before, it's not them, the Jews. Here you can hear the like certain personal stories, what happened to a woman, a man, giving them a name, an age, feeling. So this is so important. Um, yeah. So I think just to keep that up, keep on talking about it. Because when you look what's happening right now in the world, how much terrible things mm -hmm. are going on. And it's the same mechanisms that led to the Shoah are the same that are still going on today. There's still a lot of fake news. There is still a we and them. And I think yeah. we need to stop that. You know, so, you're so right. Uh, and and anti-Semitism anti seems to me to be a, almost a different kettle of fish to other kinds of prejudice. You know, it's the original one. It's the one that stretches the furthest back in history. And it seems to, uh, to, to be a kind of hatred that isn't based on uh, anything uh, flippant and silly. It's based on like the, the basic integrity of a human being. I mean, you don't have to be yes. religious to be the victim of anti-Semitism. You don't have to be um, very proudly Jewish in terms of your ancestry or your, your cultural heritage. You don't have to look a certain way or sound a certain way. Anti-Semitism really hates someone for who they are at their deepest level. And I think that that's something which humans are still struggling to deal with. It's been around for thousands of years. Years. Uh, hopefully, we managed to find a way to stop it. And if, if the Holocaust wasn't the best reason for us to change our behavior with respect to anti-Semitism, I don't know what is. But it's amazing that you're doing these these trips. Um, what kind of what kind of response do you get from the young kids when you take these students to Auschwitz, when you when you show them for the first time what actually happened? Because so few people on earth have been there. Obviously, they're very, you know, important places and there are lots of people that do go there on a daily basis. But 
more of more of us need to see what actually happened to know that it was real that it occurred i mean there are still holocaust deniers and you know like the ayatollah of iran and the and the president of iran not so long ago were denying the holocaust and there are still people who say oh you know it was never that many people or whatever um outrageous things and then when you go there you see it for yourself and it can be really moving um obviously deeply deeply sad but when you're accompanied by actual survivors it must be very powerful I think this is also one of the the main parts of March of Remembrance and Hope. What we're doing, we're having every year a survivor with us. So on this three day trip, you're not only visiting Museum Auschwitz and getting a guided tour there. You're not only participating at the March of the Living together with fifteen thousand other people. You also have the chance yes. to meet a survivor and to talk to him. Or this year it's going to be a her. Um, so I think this makes. A big change and what we get back as a feedback because you know we're like a march of remembrance and hope we started in 2007 so my first year was in 2008 since 2015 i'm like co-director of the organization and what we're getting back as a feedback from our team but also from the from the students from the pupils you know they are between mm -hmm. 16 17 18 years old and um One of the teachers we know quite well, she told us, like, she had a conversation with some of the parents. And the parents mm -hmm. said, you know what? My child changed. It got grown up a bit more since that trip because it, it changes something in your mindset. It changes, you know, they see the world differently. And for me, as organizing the, the whole journey or the whole project, Of course, it's a fantastic feedback when you suddenly see, great, you know, they take something with them. It really changes them. And mm. one of the, like, really nice stories, I'd, I'd love to tell if that's okay. We had, sure, um, so we were doing um, in 2019, 2020, I was with my film company producing the film Facing Auschwitz. So we had four, three girls and one boy Four pupils, students, we accompanied on the journey, on the Morat journey. And, um, you know, the whole project was we had problems with financing. And my team and I, we just said, like, okay, it doesn't matter what. We really want to do that because this is so important to show in a very personal way what is happening with the students during those days. You know, what are their feelings before going there? their worries, yeah. like the film starts with one of the girls saying, tomorrow um, the journey is going to start and I'm not ready and I'm scared. And this is how it starts. And then, you know, the different steps they are going through, what they are seeing, their, their you know, when they're listening to the survivor, their thoughts and also afterwards. And what turned out afterwards is, um, so the film project was over, the Morat trip to Poland was over. And what we're always doing is um, after the project is finished, like five to six weeks later, we're doing a closing event in Vienna. So all the pupils, and we are in total between 800 and 1,000 pupils that are coming with us to March of Remembrance and Hope. So we invite all of them to like a closing event in Vienna. And um, about a week before our closing event, 
there was in Vienna uh, the exhibition Lest We Forget. That was an exhibition showing about 400 survivor portraits. The photographer and I think also filmmaker Luigi Toscano made that. And this exhibition mm -hmm. has been traveling all over the world. So it's been in Ukraine, it's been in Germany, it's been in the US, in Washington, so on. You know, all over the world and it's an outdoor exhibition. So the portraits are about one and a half meter high. And, um, you know, everywhere around the world, nothing happened. Everything went well. Then the exhibition came mm -hmm. 2019 to Vienna and um, the portraits were, were on Burgring, which is quite a nice big street in Vienna. So right. what happened after a few days is somebody cut the pictures and wrote anti-Semitic or national socialism comments on them. And, you know, that was shocking for everybody because how can you do that? There was survivors that were still alive, that were there, that had to see that. So what happened, many people showed, showed civil courage. They stayed there overnight. They sued the pictures, to like make them look nice again. And mm -hmm. what happened with our film students or yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> facing yeah. Auschwitz kids is I sent them a link of the article, what happened. And um, like one day later, one of them gave me a call and just said like, you know, it's so terrible what happened there. And she can't believe it that this happened in Vienna and that somebody could do something like that. And she said like, you know what? I would like to do something because I can't let that stand like that. I really want to become active. And I told her, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to support you. Whatever you want to do, you're getting my fully support. So what she did, or what the four of them did at our closing event, they called everybody, all few hundred pupils that were at our closing events, they called them to walk to the street to Burgring, to walk to the portraits. And there they had a box with 111 red hearts. And then they said, like, we've got the red hearts here. Everybody can just write a message on a heart and just put it next to them or put it on the fence behind them and just like set a sign of respect and love and not letting this, you know, damaged portraits be there, just showing, hey, we are here, we care, and we want to set a sign. And that is what came out. And the kids so, just said like before the journey, they wouldn't have become active. But after right. that, they just can't let that stand like that. They need to do something. And it's, a small thing, but, you know, a big output. Yeah, I, I often look at, um, and maybe it's because I'm, you know, into my 40s now, and, and I also used to be a wide-eyed student with big ideas of how I was going to change the world. And I, I see a lot of people in Gen Z and even millennials now who are desperately looking for something to rally behind. And, and too often the internet provides us with the most lazy option. You know, you can go online and you can have a fight with someone on Twitter or you can uh, go and, and change your profile picture and put a flag on it or a badge or whatever else. And it, it kind of gets you the cheap points that you need so that you look like a good person. But I wonder sometimes, because I'm also a student of history and I love uh, hearing the stories of our past, trying to make sense of them, trying to see where people went in incredible directions and took civilization forward and where they did ridiculous and horrible and stupid and, and absolutely ghastly things like the Holocaust. But I wonder how many kids 
until they've been on a trip like you took these ones on, uh, actually understand how much of history is not just a story. You know, it's not a Marvel comic movie. It's not some kind of um, short story that is over and done in an hour on YouTube. These are, these are real lives, uh, millions and millions of people who went to their deaths unnecessarily and at the hands of a particularly cruel regime of people. And that those people could very easily be you and me. Uh, you know, people like to think, well, if I were in Nazi Germany back in the 1930s, I would have stood up for this. No, you wouldn't. Most people lack courage. They really don't have the kind of courage that you're talking about when you talk about these survivors, when you talk about the kind of people who managed to fight uh, these these regimes and free the people in those concentration camps, let alone the people in Germany and Austria. And I just wonder how much of it is is cheap kind of signaling sometimes from them, unless they actually go to the trouble of getting involved in something like you have. What, what do you think it was that made you a film producer, an activist, someone who's genuinely making a difference every day, as opposed to one of these people who just says the right thing on social media? And does it irritate you like it does me? <laughs> it, it irritates a lot because, you know, it makes it just like, like you said or like you just described it. It can be so easy. You change your profile picture and then you got the feeling, oh, great, I've done something. I've set a sign. But I think that it's now, I think many people, they want to become more active. You just maybe, I don't know, show them different ways what they can do because being active or showing civil courage is not always a big, big thing. You know, you can, like, like I said before, with the project of the 111 Hearts, so small things, not with a lot of effort. You can just do really small things, but I think mm. you just need to do it and don't look away. And when I say about don't looking away, this is also a story that touches my heart a lot again and again, because it was a very special person. Um, we had Mora, we had for almost 10 years, a survivor with us, Mr. Marco Feingold. And Mr. Mm. Feingold died with incredibly 106 years. So wow. he came with us at the Mora journey till he was 105. And that was sort of, okay. you know, a main event when he was talking to our students. And Mr. Feingold was one of the most, you know, for the organization, for the pupils, but I also need to say for me personally, one of the most charming inspiring and incredible persons I've ever had the privilege to meet. And, you know, we always did. So he did his speech and then afterwards he was answering questions from the students. Mm -hmm. And every year there was the question, so what's your message to the youth? So what shall we do? How can we make a change? Shall we become more active? What can we do? So this, like the Shoah, is never going to happen again. And his answer was always the same. He looked at them and he just said, like, be aware. Don't yeah. look away and don't believe everything that somebody tells you. So just keep on asking questions. Is that possible? Could that be? And, you know, be aware and be active. And this is what also I'm trying to, like, with working a lot with young people to transport 
everybody has his or her own, you know, things to do, work, school, university, private life. We're always busy, busy, busy. But of I course. mean, come on, this is our world and this is our future. And I think like for us, for our families, for our friends, I want to live in a world with respect and humanity. Mm. So, and you think like if everybody just looks away, then we're having a really problem. So don't look away. And this also starts, for example, I don't know when you're somewhere sitting in the bus or sitting in the train and hearing um, a racist or anti-Semitic comment of somebody or somebody who's just like, you know, not behaving nicely. Don't look away. Stand up in a polite way and say like, excuse me, I don't think this is correct what you're saying. You know, it doesn't always have to be like, I don't know, the James Bond mission fighting, whatever. Small, small things, even a smile can make a change to somebody. Yeah, and, and, and maybe we also need to be exactly what Mr. Feingold said. We have to be aware and, and we have to also know that sometimes when large groups of people behave in a certain way and the government tries to sell you a story about things and there's propaganda involved, which is a big part of what happened in Germany in the 1930s. Yes. You know, when, when it's, there's one narrative and the, it dominates just too much and it seems to be okay to other a certain group of people, you know, and that other could change. It was the Jews in 1939. Yeah. It was, uh, it was every other kind of person going back in history. At certain points, everyone has had prejudice against them, even if it's in, you know, in families. People at families are like, uh, you know, don't talk to aunt whoever. She's, uh, she's mad. She's crazy. Whatever the case may be, that's a, at a very micro level. But we're often lied to and we're told propagandistic stories. And I think for many people, they want to believe or they don't want to believe certain things. And what, 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 what Mr. Feingold, who you told us about, seems to be saying is, figure it out for yourself. Don't just accept what everyone else says, whether they say they're good or bad. Actually do a bit of investigation yourself because you may discover along the way that the people, and I think it was um, Jonathan Haidt, the professor at, um, at NYU, who said in a, in a recent interview I listened to, that the people who tell you how good they are and seem to be all wholesome and fantastic are very often the ones who commit the most horrible atrocities in their personal lives. You know, they cheat on their wives, they steal from other people, they uh, do damage to property, they are nasty to dogs and to children and all kinds of things, but they present themselves as being these wonderful people. Um, and you really have to, you have to be a little bit cynical um, about humanity, because as much as there is good and people like me and you, I suppose, we, we want to believe in the best in people. But there are genuinely awful people out there who will try to put on a front that they're wonderful and that they do the right thing and that they can be trusted and all of that stuff. And then we elect them to government and they become monsters. So I think that's really important what he said there. It is. It is. It is really, you know, especially I think, you know, these words I can also tell the students these words, but it really made a difference if mm. a Shoah survivor who survived four different concentra concentration camps, one of them was Auschwitz, standing in Birkenau, that's where we're doing our survivor talk, standing in Birkenau, you know, and giving them those message. And then you think like, well, okay, it's a little change. At least I can, you know, transport this message or he can transport his message to 800 or 1,000 Austrian students, and hopefully 
they will pass this message on and they will remember it. What this 105-year-old man has told them when they asked, so what's, what's it? How can we make a change? How amazing that you got to have him for 105 years. Um, I mean, you know, you got to have him for a, for a large percentage of, of his life right at the end. And so many people at, at the, in their 90s and, and hundreds can't give back. You know, they're too old or they're too feeble. For this man to have been able to do that at 105 is absolutely exceptional. So tell me, what, what did you think of the, of the exhibition when you were in South Africa? It was absolutely fantastic. First, I need to say it was such a big honor from uh, the Johannesburg Holocaust and Genocide Center that they invited me to come to open the exhibition, to come as a keynote speaker. And um, yeah, walking through the exhibition, it was so, you know, I, I got goosebumps. It was hmm. touching, scary, emotional, everything at the same moment. And even if the pictures are like, how do you see, like it's hard to look at them, but yes. at the same moment, it's so important not to look away, to look at them and to have a look. Okay, this has really happened in the past. And I think also, I mean, of course, it's always one thing is what you learn out of books, you learn in school, you learn in your history lessons. But I think like especially going to such an exhibition, getting some more background information we had at the opening, there were even a few survivors there that had also a look at the exhibition. This makes a completely different, you know, atmosphere. Just when you also, when you know, okay, even survivors came here and they had a look at it. And um, yeah, so I think it's really important. It was very inspiring, very well done exhibition. And I can just recommend it to everybody. Um, it's really worth it going there and seeing and learning and taking something with you. You can take a lot out of it, taking with you out there. Well, you also said there are not going to be very many survivors left soon because they're all getting very old. And there's something that happens with history when it passes into secondhand history. And it's, it's no longer the firsthand stories of those who were actually there at the time. Yeah. Um, obviously what you're doing is part of what will keep that alive. And that's very powerful and very moving quite apart from the fact that it's important that these stories be told in order to make sure that nothing like this happens again. It's also a documentation of history and we're lucky to live at a time, Iris, I'm sure you'll agree where we have the equipment and the ability to be able to record these things. And it doesn't have to cost thousands and thousands of euros or rands or anything else. And we're able to keep a, 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 a time capsule really um, of these amazing people. You must have been very moved meeting people like Mr. Feingold. Are there any other stories that have really stood out for you and, and, and very moving ideas that have come from some of the people you've interviewed and spoken to? Well, of meeting quite a few survivors, it's, you know, it's always incredible. Like those survivors I met and I, I just had, we had a panel discussion and I had the big honor to be, to be the presenter of this panel discussion two weeks ago. Um, mm. Like it's always the thing, how positive and how active they are. And they keep on saying like, yes, because seeing young people that are interested, sometimes they can't even believe like, so many people are here just to listen to me. 
And, <laughs> but it gives them so much power. This is also what Mr. Feingold said, said like, the young people give me the power. Michael Feingold kept on saying like, you know what? I can't die yet. I can't go because I need to tell my story to even more young people and more and more and more. So I think this is what really, you know, you have, yeah, you have a message and you have something to do. So I think that's what really keeps them, keeps them alive. Um, and yeah, I just met a very, very um, nice survivor at the panel discussion. And it was this, wonderful i think like 95 or 96 year old lady and uh, you know we're having corona it was cold but she came to this panel discussion and it was so important to her you know to talk and to tell her story she was in theresienstadt her father was in auschwitz but she was such a such a wonderful and shining person and such a loving spirit and also she said like about the question what's the message she also said like come on keep on reading newspapers the right newspapers mm -hmm. and ask the right questions you know and just be aware so yeah. i think th this is what always comes back or it's always the message of these survivors um what i also need to need to tell i've like most stories to tell of course of mr feingold because i knew him for a very long time but what is also quite inspiring, you know, the March of the Living is about two to three kilometers from Auschwitz one to Birkenau. So you walk that. So till Marco mm. Feingold was 100 years old, he walked that. So he had his walking sticks. He did the walking. Then he entered Birkenau. Then it's another about a kilometer walking at the back. Then he talked for two hours to our students. Then he walked back to the main entrance then for another one and a half hours with the students in the bus, you know, answering questions, doing, doing, doing. And then he got to the hotel. And even when he had dinner, there were again students around him. And every time you had the feeling when there was nobody around, you could see now he's tired. The moment he felt mm. somebody is around him, you know, his, his body was from this to that and saying, like, keep on asking questions. And I think this is also about it. The survivors it's different. You know, there are some that don't want to talk, which is okay because these people have been through really a lot and not everybody wants to talk. I also had one survivor. He was a child. So he got hidden in Amsterdam by a family um, when his parents got deported. And he just is now 83 or 84. And he just started talking a few years ago. Because he said, like, you know, it's hard for him to remember. He just found out a few years ago what really happened with his parents. You know, they died in Auschwitz. And he didn't know for a very long time what happened to them. And just, you know, by getting older, also his kids kept on asking him questions. And he was always like, I can't. You know, it's it's a big one. I just can't. But he just said, like, the older he gets, the more he gets the feeling... I need to talk about it and I need to transport my history and not getting it, you know, that it's getting lost. Well, I'm very, very glad we got to speak to you today. Please keep doing the great work you're doing and, um, and keep inspiring so many young people to understand the story of the Holocaust, to, to understand the personal stories of the people who were there and the people who've been affected by it. 
post the, 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 the time that it actually occurred. Um, and thank you for coming to South Africa. I'm, I'm sorry I didn't get to meet you when you were here, <laughs> but the exhibition is open and I will go and see it, as will I'm sure many more people at the Johannesburg Holocaust and Genocide Center, which is in Johannesburg, but it's also going to Cape Town and to Durban. Um, it'll be free to attend in South Africa, so you don't have to pay to get in, and it'll be in Johannesburg until the end of March. So I look forward to uh, seeing many people there and to uh, experiencing all of this. You know, history isn't always, it isn't always fairy tales. Um, in fact, very little of history is fairy tales. Most of it is quite uncomfortable because you come face to face with the most jarring elements of human nature. And I think that when you convince yourself in your head that all human beings are wonderful and they do great things to each other, you're just telling yourself a horrible lie. At the same time, you don't have to lose all hope in humanity because the story of the Holocaust is filled, at least at the end of it, with hope. And so many of these survivors will make you feel more hopeful than anyone else. I remember reading Viktor Frankl years ago, and I just thought, you know what? Any problem I have in my life, by comparison with what that man went through, just fades away. And it gives me courage on a daily basis to get through things that aren't really a big deal in the big scheme of things, but maybe you know, weighing down on me and on that particular day. Once you've read that book <laughs> in search of meaning, you, you very quickly realize like your problems are nothing. I hope you're going to have a nice time uh, on holiday. I know you're, you're taking a bit of a break, which you well deserve and come back, come back and visit us in South Africa soon. Thank you. So thank you very, very much for the great possibility for this wonderful talk. And I can just say like, you know, have a look at the exhibition, seeing Auschwitz, and, um, yeah, also read Viktor Frankl. And what I just said, I just want to keep Marco Frankl's message up. Just be aware. Don't look away. Be active and be aware. I love it. Thank you so much. Iris Singer. Thank you. Cliffcentral.com.